Thank you very much, Leanne. What a great morning and just so great to honour the deaf and thank you for sharing, Pastor Rod. It's been an amazing journey of 10 years. So, uh, yeah, we've been talking about the uh, spiritual practices and uh, last week uh, we spent a bit of time on this and really spoke about how following Jesus properly as a disciple of Jesus uh, is really the point of being a Christian and to follow Jesus properly and to put ourselves at the feet of Jesus and face-to-face with Jesus, we need to practice our religion, practice our faith. And here you've got the seven core practices, uh, which I spoke about the first week. Then last week we looked at these not only as core practices for us that follow Jesus, but these were actually practices that Jesus did himself. That's why we do them, because he did them. And over 2,000 years of church history, the church has been practicing these ways of following Jesus. And as I said last week, these practices, these seven practices, actually have no power whatsoever in themselves. Fasting can do nothing. Praying can do nothing. Being silent can do nothing. These things can do absolutely nothing to transform your life. But these practices put you face to face with Jesus and he can transform your life. These practices connect you to the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God can transform your life. Today we're going to look at number one. We're going to take a bit of a deeper dive here at simplicity. And this practice is living from the divine center so that one's life becomes freer. Last week our practice that we did together as a church was fasting. So number five there. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But did anyone fast a little bit last week? I know a few guys in my life group did. Uh, Fasting's a challenge, isn't it? Lots of people have never fasted before. Maybe you've fasted for health reasons. Maybe you've fasted for a surgery. uh, Maybe you've fasted for those reasons. But to fast in order to put yourself face-to-face with Jesus is something incredibly powerful. And if you watch my little five-minute video, I talk about why that is so powerful. So if you missed it last week, you're more than welcome to fast a day this week. (laughs) one of those laughs hey there's nothing more powerful than fasting trust me but it's hard it's a there's a massive flesh hurdle to jump there to then deny yourself food but that's one of the best ways to love Jesus and we practice these ways in order to look more like him now I'm an avid St Kilda supporter St Kilda football club anyone else go for St Kilda out there I know my man Glenn Davey over there is going to the game today great Helen and uh, this here is a picture of Max King, our forward, uh, six foot seven uh, forward line player. Now he's had some struggles with his kicking over the early part of his career. But the last week, I think it was, he kicked six goals straight, so he didn't miss one. In my first year of university, I did a degree in uh, exercise science, and one of the first things they told us at university in exercise science, learning to be a coach, a trainer of people, is that practice doesn't make perfect. Practice actually makes permanent. Can we say that together? Practice makes permanent. So the old adage is practice makes perfect, but that's actually a lie. Because if you practice incorrectly, what you practice will become permanent. So if you practice imperfectly, then the imperfect will become permanent. Let's apply this to our faith. If we practice our faith wrong, what we practice will become permanent, but we don't want to practice the wrong thing. This is why it's so important. It's why we come to church, to make sure we're on the right track. Because you're all going to practice something. You're practicing right 
now, this week, today. You're going to live, you're going to talk, you're going to have relationships, you're going to follow something. As we spoke about in the first week, if Jesus isn't forming you on the inside and your character, guess what? Something else is forming you because everyone undergoes spiritual formation. It'll either be formation through the world and through culture and through Netflix and through whatever's going on, or it'll be formation through Jesus Christ. Practice makes permanent. So the encouragement in this series is to practice the ways of Jesus. Now, I also have some good news for you, apart from that St. Kilda's going to win this afternoon against the Kangaroos, but I have some other good news for you. It's been quite a struggle of mine the last few months, but we've had a breakthrough this week in my family. My 15-month-old daughter finally started walking. Thank God. I was really worried there for a while. I, was re- I know you kind of, everyone eventually gets the walking thing. You're all testament to that. Some of you walk better than others, but most of us get it eventually. But I was worried for a while. Most of my kids walked around one and she's 15 months old. She still hadn't got it. Maybe it's because she's the fourth born child. I don't know if anyone can help me out there. Is anyone born fourth out there? Uh, fifth, sixth, you know, I don't know. She gets carried around a lot. I don't know. She finally got it though. Well, walking's a funny thing, you know, for babies because when it's your own child, you're like, when are they going to walk? When are they going to crawl? When are they going to talk? You know, it seems so full on. It seems like such a big thing. But it's one of those things that, you know, everyone gets it eventually. Eventually, walking becomes simple. Eventually, walking becomes something you do without even thinking. Today, we're going to talk about simplification. We're going to talk about simplifying our lives, simplifying as a spiritual practice in order to be with Jesus. But just like Nova learning to walk, being simple is great. The simplicity of walking around, isn't it fantastic? Like I can get places for Nova at the moment, it's kind of like this and then she falls. It's not so simple. It's actually quite difficult. But once she gets it, she's going to start running. And once she can run, she's going to be everywhere and into everything. And this is like the practice of simplicity. It's hard to learn. It's like any of the practices. They're hard to get your head around. But once you begin to practice these habits of following Jesus, they become second nature. St. Francis of Assisi is a famous, famous monk in the 12th century. He uh, is famous for the Franciscan order, which incredibly still exists today. So for 800 years, the Franciscans have been serving the poor. Incredible. And St. Francis of Assisi was, guess what, from the town of Assisi. Gosh, you guys are smart. You know your church history. So much easier in those days. St. Caleb of Botanic Ridge. Just hear it one day. And uh, he was son to an Italian silk merchant and a French mother. And he's well known, well known, the Franciscans. He's the patron saint of Italy. So he's no small saint, that's for sure. He's, he's accredited with the first live Christmas nativity scene, and he's, he's rumoured to have received the stigmata in 1224, which is when through prayer and seeking the Holy Ghost and an incredible spiritual experience, the uh, stigmata, so the holes of Christ in your hands and your side, actually appear on your physical body. So you can go and check that out for yourself, but he's rumoured to have received that. Anyway... It was not always that way. He was actually one of the wealthy, wealthiest men, young men in his city. He was handsome. He was witty. He was well known for his fine clothes. And he was actually one of the chief 
troublemakers among the, among the young aristocracy of his day. He was a bit of a playboy. Let's just put it in modern terms, he was a playboy. But he had an interesting experience as he went off to battle as a young man. He was captured and spent a year in captivity. And he began to reevaluate his life and look at what's really meaningful in his life. After this experience, which deeply challenged him, he was one day selling his father's fine silks in the marketplace. And a beggar, a poor man, came up to him and said, may I have some alms? So that's an old-fashioned way of saying, can you give some charity to the poor, some money, some food, some drink, anything? He had nothing on him, so he shooed, kind of shooed the man away, but he was convicted to his heart. And after his day of work, he went back into the town and he tracked down this beggar and found him and he actually gave him everything that he had, every dollar he could find, every bit of his father's silk that he could find, he gave it to him. This, as you can imagine, outraged his father, a rich wealthy silk merchant and this is the picture that you see here this father in the pink there the beautiful pink silk drags St Francis or Francisco that his name was before the uh, before the priest in order to disinherit him so in those days in order to kind of dismiss your son who isn't behaving appropriately you could take him before the local bishop and he would be disinherited so he would be cut off from the family's money he'd be cut off from the family's support and uh, this was his father outraged threatening his son to pull him into line to serve the family business to be a young nobleman like he should be and famously St Francis rejects the family wealth rejects his father and strips himself of all of his clothes, naked. The bishop there, you can see, covers him with his own cloak in order to cover his nakedness. And that's the story of St. Francis of Assisi, rejecting wealth, rejecting the finer things, rejecting his affluent life. And he takes off from that point to become the famous monk that he would become. Simplicity is a challenge. Imagine that, to reject wealth, to reject the finer things in life, to reject beautiful clothing. It's something that I've struggled with a lot as a spiritual discipline. One of the main reasons I've struggled with some simplicity is mainly because of my own ignorance. Richard Foster says that the majority of Christians have never seriously wrestled with the problem of simplicity, conveniently ignoring Jesus' many words on the subject. The reason is simple. This discipline directly challenges our vested interests in an affluent lifestyle. It does, it challenges us. If you're in that, isn't that the position of most modern Aussies? To become like Francesco, to have fine clothes, to have a rich father, to live a comfortable life, to have a big house. But these are the very things that he rejected and these are the things that Jesus calls us to reject. But it's a difficult struggle as I've said before in this series so far, to follow Jesus is to practice following Jesus. And to practice means a lifelong apprenticeship of practicing over and over and over again. You are not going to practice Jesus per following Jesus perfectly today. I have not practiced following Jesus perfectly every single day. It's something we have to wrestle with. We have to work through. We have to chip away at it. And guess what? The day you die you will still be practicing. You'll still be refining your prayer life, refining your understanding of the Scriptures, refining what it means to be in a church community. 
the whole time you'll be wrestling with your own sin and your own challenges and all the things that you want and the self wants. But the whole time, the call of God will pull on your heart. And the, and the thankfulness for Jesus' work on the cross it will pull on your heart to continue to follow him. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you haven't made a decision for Jesus. You haven't said, I'll sell everything to follow Jesus. And that call will still go out to you. Come follow me. Jesus will still tug on your heart all the time. He tugs on all men's heart, all women's heart to come and follow him. But we have to wrestle through the culture that we live in, the milieu of the, what it means to be an Aussie that's all around us. If I can simply define this for you this morning, what is this challenge, this milieu that we live in, this water that we all swim in that robs us of a simple life of following Jesus? Today, I'm going to define it as this cultural enslavement to wanting, rushing, and buying. We all want the simple life. We can pop that next slide up. We all want the simple life. The next slide. Let me go third time. The next slide, please. I'll say this one. Sorry, I haven't covered this one properly. Simplicity is not living without things. Let's just cover this quickly before, I, um, before you all get offended and leave the church. When I say simplicity, I don't mean living without anything. Okay, you're still going to have things. You're still going to have stuff. It's okay. Keep your clothes on. All right. I don't want any St. Francis of Assisi's here this morning. All right. Simplicity is also not just show us the next one. It's not an extreme denial of all self-pleasure. That's taking simplicity or any of the practices we can take too far. We can go into the extremities and we can uh, practice self-denial in a way that's unhealthy. Okay? It's not denial of all, pleasure, of, of all pleasures, complete denial like that. Simplicity is also not, it's not a call, uh, rejecting of the wisdom of building wealth. That's important to understand. So wealth and creating wealth is an important kingdom principle, biblical principle as well, and has to be weighed with simplicity. It's a fine line to walk. The reason that we build wealth and make money and, and lay up treasures like this is not so that we can enjoy them here on the earth for ourselves, but the Christian reason for building wealth is so that we can give it away. It's about generosity. It's about serving others. And also simplicity is not about decluttering only. Okay, you can go watch all the minimalistic stuff if you want to declutter your house, but that's not only what simplicity is about. Do we have that slide, wanting, rushing, buying? Seems to have been lost there. There it is. Sorry, I must have had things in the wrong order. This is the thing that we really struggle with. I want to touch on today before we get into our main scripture. This is what is at us all the time as modern Auss Aussies. It's the wanting. Everything starts with wanting. I want... I've got a TV, but I want another TV. I've got a few pairs of shoes, but I want another pairs of shoes. Okay, I don't need to go over and over and over it. We all know this challenge that is before us. It's the challenge of materialism, material things, real stuff, things that we can feel, things that we can see, as well as wanting things that we can't see, like status and certain kinds of friends and certain kinds of experiences. We want these kind of experiences. This wanting actually is picked up Way, way, way back in the Old Testament, actually in Exodus chapter 20, where, Jesus, uh, where God gives us, sorry, the Ten Commandments to the Jewish people. And the Tenth Commandment is do not, where's my Sunday school kids out there? Do not, close, covet, do not covet. 
Do not covet. It's already there. Do not want things so badly or envy what other people have so badly that it becomes an obsession. I have to have those things and my neighbor gets something. Keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak, or the Kardashians, whatever area you live in. The wanting leads to rushing, leads to working. Because we've got to work because we want stuff and work means money and then money means we can buy. So we get drawn into workaholism. You know, men get a status from working and having important suits and important roles and important titles and important wages and important friends. This whole pressure to rush around working. Or maybe if you don't work and you're a stay-at-home mum or you're the retiree, there's still this rushing of the next task, the next job, the next fix-it thing, the next DIY project, the next problem in your family. Everything's rushing. There's noise. There's hurry. There's anxiety. We suffer in our modern culture from hurry sickness. It's sucked into the rat race of rushing around. And this is not what it means to follow Jesus Christ. The wanting and the rushing leads to eventually what we're trying to get to. The pinnacle of everything is now we can buy stuff. We buy the car because of the feelings it gives us and the status it gives us. And we have stuff all over our house and boxes full of stuff we haven't looked at for a year and clothes that are shoved up the top of closets that we're going to wear one day and get out or give to my child in 25 years when they grow up and they can wear that dress. We have stuff and we have things and we have graphs and we've had and we've acquired. (sighs) It's so, so stressful. This is consumerism. You know, atheism hasn't replaced Christianity in our culture. Buying stuff has. The new religion is consumerism, online shopping, working to buy the next thing, the next experience. And guess what? The propaganda that we call our media system pushes us. You've got to have this. You won't be satisfied without that. You've got to have that next holiday. And Psalm 39 verse 6 says, Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, Heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally come. If you're taking notes, that's Psalm 39 verse 6. The practice of simplicity frees us to focus. Who wants to be free and not be enslaved to the culture of the day? The practice of simplicity frees us to focus on what really matters by rejecting slavery to stuff and things Therefore, living from the divine center. The divine center is this place that we live from where God is first and everything else comes second. This story is picked up really well in Luke chapter 18, where it says, A certain ruler asked him, so this is Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus turns to him very sharp, as sharp as ever, And says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Now, interestingly, Jesus picks up on this. Why do you call me good? Because for a young Jewish man to call anyone good was essentially blasphemy. In the Jewish law, only God is known as good. Only God is truly good. Man is inferior. Man is fallible. No man is good. But this rich young man, kind of like the young aristocrat, Francisco from Assisi tries to come in with a little bit of flattery, just slide into Jesus' group and say, hey, good teacher. Uses a little little bit of flattery to get in, to get his question answered about eternal life. 
tries to talk Jesus up a little bit, tries to make him feel good so he can be heard. But Jesus, as quick as ever, says, hey, 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 buddy, who are you calling good? Only God is good. In all of the history of Jewish teaching, no rabbi is ever called good. No man is called good. No woman is called good because the, the term good is reserved for God. He's asking the right question about eternal life, this rich young man. But he's asking it in the wrong way. But Jesus entertains his question and says, verse 20, Will you know the commandments? You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All of these, says the man, I have kept since I was a boy. So Jesus tests him. And let's, let's transfer this to us. If you're a follower of Jesus sitting here today, if you consider yourself a Christian, this is like Jesus asking us, are you doing all the things you should be doing as a Christian? Are you going to church? You're reading the Bible? Are you, are you being generous, giving money to the poor? Are you living your life in a way that puts God first? He's kind of going through all the, all the basics, all the core tenets of the faith. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he was raised from the dead? Okay, and that confession, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, all that stuff. And guess what? This rich, good-looking young man who's got money, who's got wealth, who's got everything. It's you know, kind of cool and just slides in there with a bit of flattery. He's done it all. He's actually doing all the right things. You're probably doing most of the right things. Interestingly, Jesus doesn't test him on any of the first five commandments. He jumps straight to commandment number six. You see, the commandments are divided in two, aren't they? The first five are about God, loving God, have no other God before me, things like that. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. They're all about God. The second five commandments are all about loving your neighbor. So love God, love your neighbor. But he leaves one commandment out. There's only four out of five there. It's only six, seven, eight, and nine. He leaves out, do not, do not the 10th commandment. Went over this a little bit earlier. Do not covet. Good. We've gone from two people knowing it to three and a half people knowing it. Well done. Do not covet, but we'll get to that later. Interestingly, Jesus almost prophetically knows where this is all going, and it's like he's left that to later. So he tests him on whether he's a real Jew, a real Christian. Do you really know the stuff? And he does. Fantastic, says Jesus. Verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, great, you still lack just one thing. And you can imagine this young guy. This young guy, flattery, this young, good-looking guy. <laughs> I knew it. One thing. One thing. Easy. What is it? Let's give a bit of money here, is it? Maybe tithing? I don't know. Maybe there's just one thing. I'll probably just miss one thing. I mean, everyone misses one thing. You still lack one thing, Jesus says. Here it is. You ready? Simple. Just one thing. Sell everything you have. And give the money to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. One thing you lack. Isn't it interesting that the one thing the rich man lacked is that he didn't lack. The one thing the rich man lacked is that he didn't lack 
You see, the rich man had a complex life of money and things and business and rich friends and expensive places to go and a status to keep up and an image. And he was known, he was not only known for his money, but he was known that he, for a young man who kept the commandments. He was rich and had the experiences and had the status and had the stuff. Plus, he was a really good Christian. But the fact is, the one thing he lacked is he didn't lack. He wasn't without. And therefore, his life was complex. It wasn't simple. And when Jesus said, sell everything and follow me, that was not a simple commandment. That was not an easy thing because he was weighed down by clutter. And he was weighed down by all the things he had to do and the jobs he had to do and the important suits he had to wear and the places he had to go and the holiday that he had organised and the friends who were expecting him to come out on Friday night. There was actually a lot of stuff on him that made Jesus' simple command, just sell that and come follow me. Then you'll have eternal life. You'll have it all. You will have treasure in heaven. What more could you want than have Jesus, have treasure in heaven and have eternal life? But he couldn't do it because his life was too cluttered with things and stuff and grasping and having and buying and rushing and going to the next place. You see, the disciple of Jesus lacks as a decision to practice simplicity. The disciple of Jesus lacks on purpose. The disciple of Jesus lacks because they've made an intentional decision to practice simplicity. What do you lack on purpose? What have you given up on purpose to create life, to create space, sorry, in your life for prayer, for following Jesus, for spending time in Christian community? What have you intentionally put aside and said, I'm going to go without this stuff. I'm going to sell this stuff. I'm going to derobe, please don't do that right now, this is metaphorical. I'm going to derobe like St. Francis of Assisi in order to aggressively, intensely, dramatically show that I'm going to take a different path, a narrow path. Jesus picks this up really well in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He says, no man can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you might have heard the really evil word called mammon. So the Greek word for wealth here is, or money here, is mammon. If you grew up in the 80s charismatic church like me, man, you've heard about mammon. It's like this real nasty demon that's after you, Okay. Now, it is pretty bad stuff. I don't want to underpin it here. But mammon is the word that my parents used to tell me when I was like eight. And I was like, what? <laughs> I understand it a little bit more now, okay? And I'm going to try and explain it for you. Jesus, as he does, simplifies things for us real well. You got God or you got money. Tied to money is all the stuff for the rushing and the buying and the working and the stressing. And with that comes anxiety, mental health issues. Lots of things can come out of this pursuit of money, the idol of money. 
I know lots of you are great Christian people are sitting there going, I know, Pastor Caleb, I've got to be careful and I give my tithes and all of that. But can we go a bit deeper this morning? I'm trying to get this a bit deeper here. I'm trying to focus this on simplicity, not on just doing some tithing or something like that. You see, God on one side wants to be not only a father, a good, loving father, but he wants to be God. He wants to be the master. He wants to be in charge. He wants your utter devotion. And as much as we like to have a woke God that kind of is all grace and a little bit of truth, really, God wants to own your life. He wants you fully devoted to him. He doesn't just want to be a good dad to you. He also wants to be your king. He wants to be your idol above every other idol, the first commandment. Have no other gods before me. Money isn't just cash. Money is everything that's tied to it. It's this cultural enslavement to wanting, rushing, buying, repeat. Wanting, rushing, buying, repeat. Wanting, rushing, buying, repeat. God doesn't want you to have to live like that. He wants you to seek first his kingdom. The practice of simplicity if you saw the definition at the start, is actually all about freedom. It's all about liberation. It's all about letting your heart be at peace. The money of system is all about the money system is all about anxiety. It's about pressure. It's about keeping up with the Kardashians. The practice of simplicity frees us. Who wants to be liberated in your heart? Free in your schedule. Liberated in your family to raise your children in the ways of God. Free to spend time with those that God has given you as great brothers and sisters in Christ to grow together and move towards eternity. Well, simplicity focuses, on what's re- focuses us on what really matters and rejects the slavery of stuff and things so that we can live from the divine center. Let's finish this off. Jesus looked at him. So the young man is walking away sad, his head down. His life is too complex in order for him to lack it all. He's too full in order to look at things and be with Jesus. And as he walks away, Jesus looks at him. His back turned, his disciples standing there. Everyone's a bit concerned. Is this guy going to be okay? And Jesus says this phenomenal statement. How hard is it for the rich man, a rich person, to enter the kingdom of heaven? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. You know the problem with being rich or being wealthy or having money is that affluence gives us options. Because there's so many options outside of God. Do you know that the base level for somebody to live a happy, fulfilling life is about $75,000 a year? This has all been researched. This is proven by science, everybody. Anything more than 75K a year will not add happiness or wellness to your life. It's all unnecessary above that. Once you can pay your bills, go on a little holiday, feed your family, do a couple of bits of entertainment, anything on top of that will not add happiness and wellness. Guess what? Multi-multi-millionaires, guess what? Billionaires, they still want the next big thing. They're still not satisfied with their life. They go to the best parties, they have the best stuff, and still they want more. At the end of last year, 
as we're coming out of lockdown, you know, Zoe and I were greatly challenged by this practice of simplicity. And for us, it could have been many things, could have been many areas to look at, many areas to improve in. But the thing that really hit us was our schedule. Having a hurried schedule, having a busy schedule. We all say all the time, the, the, the thing that comes out of our mouth all the time is how busy we are. Most of us wear it as a badge of honor. Oh, I'm so busy. Oh my goodness, you must be so important. Oh. Everyone's busy, all right? It's not cool when everyone says it. Didn't you learn that in high school? We're all busy because this is what it means to be Australian. You're not busy because you're important. You're busy because you're an Aussie. This is the culture we live in. It's a busy, rushing culture. When you dig down into it in a really practical sense, and if you've been around me for a while, you know I like to get practical, it really comes down to your schedule, your routine, your Monday to Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What do you do with your time? And so we have to learn to reprioritize coming out of lockdowns because like all of you, we'd had two years of a different schedule. Thank you, Victorian Labor government for giving us that schedule that we had the last two years. And now we had a chance to actually get back to our own routine. To be simple, my point here is that to be simple, to create space for Jesus, for being with Jesus, for becoming like Jesus, and for doing what Jesus did, you've got to get practical around this. Simplicity becomes a practical thing. Now, I'm not standing up here as some kind of minimalist advocate. I'm standing up here as a pastor saying, I want to help you pray better. It's really my job as a pastor. I want to help you find Jesus better, study the scriptures better. But simplicity often starts practically. When Jesus said, sell everything and follow me, he's saying that not only to a rich young man, but he's saying that to you and I. But it's a little bit different for us today because of our context. I want to quickly give you 10 practical principles, and then I want to encourage you this week to look at these things. And then we're going to stand in a minute and pray around this. The first practical thing is consider the true cost of items before you buy them. So often we consider the financial cost. But do you consider the cost of time? Consider the cost of care? You think of buying a dog. It's not about just how much a dog costs, but you've got to consider what it will cost you in time, effort, caring. We spend so much time buying gadgets and trinkets and having memberships and signing up for streaming things, and we don't use these things. Consider the true cost of items. Never impulse buy, but buy for usefulness, not status. You know, so many times I've been at a shop, so many times I looked at something online, I've just said, I'm just going to let it go for a couple of days. Guess what? I'm able to live my life without making that purchase. Guess what? I forget about that purchase a day later. I didn't need to buy it anyway. I've saved myself hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, just because I didn't buy in the moment. Not just buying in the moment, but don't buy for status sake. Because I want to wear this, I want to look like that, I want to be that kind of person. Simplify your life. Buy because you need it, not because it's something that you want to have a certain kind of look. Number three, share your things and give things away often. Often share, often give away. Most of my closet every year gets given away to young guys in the church who might want some of my stuff given away to other people or thrown in the bin. Every time I buy a T-shirt, I throw away two T-shirts. I'm always giving things away or throwing things out, decluttering, because I don't want to live out of a closet full of stuff, a house full of stuff. If someone likes something that you've got, if someone appreciates something that you've got, 
Just give it to them. Just simplify. It's okay. You're not going to die if you don't have AirPods. You're not going to die if you don't have an iPod and a phone and a big TV and a small TV and every, a device for each of your children. You'll survive. Number four, live by a spend plan or a budget. I like to call it a spend plan because spend, spending is freedom, budget is restriction. But live by a plan. Have a plan for every dollar. As a Christian, the purpose isn't to make money and spend it. The purpose of a Christian is to make money and think about how can I be generous with this? Give to my church, give to my friends, shout somebody a coffee, support somebody else that might have not as much as me. When's the last time you went without a pair of shoes and you bought someone, something for someone who doesn't have much? Or invested in a young person, a teenager? I came down here to vote the other week just because I wanted to spend $15 so to help these guys go to state youth games. I spent my money on sausages rather than on myself. Now, I know that's a silly, just small example, but where you think, if you don't have generosity in your giving, and don't tell me tithing's generosity. Tithing is a command. Tithing is a basic. What do you give beyond 10%? It's great to see over 30 people so far have given to Mike and Jane Kim who have gone to the mission field with their family. 30, 30 different giving units in our church so far, which is fantastic. And some of them just young families giving hundreds of dollars, some even over $1,000, just to go, I want to give to someone that's going out onto the field. That's great generosity. Number five, enjoy things without owning them. You don't have to own everything. Learn to share. Learn to go in with other people. Learn to rent. You don't have to store. You don't have to waste. It promotes community. Number six, remove hurry from your schedule or your routine. Look at your weekly schedule. Where are you hurrying? What's negotiable? Yes, I know to get kids to school in the morning, it's a rush and a hurry and it's stressful. I'm in that situation too. That's not very negotiable. But there's so many things in your life that you can control, the hurry, the speed, the routine. Learn to slow your schedule down so that you can be with Jesus, so you can worship with your children, so you can have a coffee with that friend that's going to challenge you about how you're becoming more like Christ. Number seven, develop a deep appreciation for the outdoors. One of the easiest ways to practice simplicity is to get outside, get to the beach, walk in nature, spend half an hour with God, put your kids to bed and then go out for a walk in the dark at night. Just enjoy the outdoors, enjoy nature, use free experiences, learn to value the simple things in life like a tree. Number eight, recognize that all advertising is propaganda, a lie that prom promises satisfaction. I'm constantly educating my children when we watch ads, when we still b see billboards. I say to Aurora, is that true what that ad is saying? She's 10, she knows it's not true. Of course that isn't going to give me love. Of course that purchase isn't going to give me friends. She knows at 10. But you and I don't know because we're right out there buying. Oh my goodness, if I have that thing, it's going to give me love and I'm going to have friends and oh, it's all about me. Recognize that everything that you are fed in media and advertising is propaganda. It's not true. Number nine, rebel against the culture of materialism. Just rebel against it. Rebel against credit card debt. Rebel against going to big shopping centers. Rebel about having a house full of clutter and full of stuff. Be a rebel for once. Go the different way. Go the narrow path. And number 10, obey Jesus on simple speech. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just be simple with your words. Many words 
cover up imperfections in here. But when you can be simple, you can be silent. Your yes can be yes, your no can be no. It's a powerful, wise thing. A practice for this week, unsurprisingly, is to simplify your life. So if you go to our church website, forward slash practices, I've got a couple of little scriptures and, and meditation things in there uh, to do. I'll take you about 10 minutes just to re-go over this um, Luke 18 and the story about the rich young ruler. But the practical practice this week is to declutter. I've given you three options, three exercises. You can do all three if you want. I'm encouraging you to choose one. It's to either declutter your closet, declutter your stuff around the house, or to declutter your paper and get rid of your hordes of paper that you might have. You might want to do all three, but there's three practical things there. Your clothing, your stuff, and your paper. And then in our life groups or with a friend or in your home, there's a few discussion questions there for you as well. Again, reviewing the scripture, the first one, talking about the 10 practical principles, the second question. The third one is to name three things that enslave you to money, buying and possessions or hurrying. And number four is maybe talk about one of those options of decluttering that you did. It's great to do as a life group. As always, anybody in, our, in this church, anyone's here, even if you're here for the first time today, you're all invited to join a life group. It's one of the best ways to grow together in Christ. Let's all just stand up this morning. Thanks, Dan. Just close your eyes today. Just close your eyes. Just really set your heart on Jesus this morning. And just as we sing this song, I just want you to just see all the clutter, the busyness and the hurry just washing away. The blood of Jesus sets us free. The practices of Jesus bring liberation. Your heart might not feel free. Your mind might not feel free. You might be sitting here going, man, my schedule, my money, everything. But don't be overwhelmed this morning. God isn't here to punish you, to condemn you. God is here to set you free. If you're feeling shameful or corrected this morning, set that aside because that's not the heart of God. He's here to set you free. And it might start with something as simple as giving something away of decluttering a closet, something really practical. But God will work in your heart. God will work in your life. He wants to set us free. He wants to liberate us. Let's just close our eyes and just sing this this morning.